Coming up right here on KISU, it's one hour of the Idaho Falls City Club. Tonight's guest, Senator Bart Davis. Hear archived shows and find more information about the City Club at ifcityclub.com. My friends, we are at the right time and place. Our distinguished speaker is present. As is our tradition, questions will be picked up at the conclusion of Senator Bart Davis's remarks. To carry us forward, we welcome back to our podium <laughs> Dr. David Adler, Distinguished Professor of Political Science at Idaho State University. Thank you, Mark. Mark wears many hats here for the City Club. In, a different, in addition to being president, he is also playing the role of Santa Claus. And I want to echo his remarks and invite those of you who haven't joined us yet to do so. It's a wonderful opportunity to promote civil dialogue and civic discourse in our community. Idaho, as you all know, stands in the state of some very difficult circumstances these days. Like other states across the country, we're dealing with severe economic circumstances. And they probably are not going to get better anytime soon, given the fact that the stimulus money from the Obama administration has just about been exhausted. And so our legislature, along with our governor and other concerned citizens now, will be hard-pressed to determine how best to finance the many programs for which the state of Idaho is responsible, including education. And luckily today, our guest speaker is one of the most experienced, most savvy citizens here in Idaho. Bart Davis is no stranger to this community. He and Marion have raised six children and enjoy eight grandchildren here. A native from South Dakota, they were married in 1976, and he has long been an outstanding member of this community and a prominent citizen of Idaho. He was elected to the state Senate in 1998. As you know, he serves as the Senate Majority Leader, and he also proudly represents uh, his alma mater of the University of Idaho, where he had received his law degree in 1979, 1980, excuse me. He had previously graduated from BYU in 1978. He continues to be an advisor to the University of Idaho Law School, serving in a variety of uh, important uh, contexts. And also, he has written most recently a law review article in 2007, in which he, he employs a very nice title, uh, Willow Witching for uh, Legislative Intent. He has enjoyed a number of important and distinguished posts here in the state, representing several governors, and he currently uh, represents the state of Idaho and indeed the nation as a commissioner for the National Commission for the Uniform Code. He has served as chair for the Committee for an Eastern Idaho State Park. He currently chairs the State Committee on Restoring the Capitol. He is chairman of the State Commission on Financing Judicial Elections. I could go on and on to describe the many posts and important committee assignments that Senator Davis holds in our state but that would take up too much time. So let me instead invite to the podium our distinguished Senator, Bart Davis.
Thank you, David. Um, but I need to first recognize, uh, if you will allow me, uh, my parents join me today, uh, Harold and Anna Davis, uh, truly wonderful people who I know are known to most of you. Uh, they celebrated a very significant uh, birthday this year. I think they're in their 50s now. Uh, there are a lot of wonderful people who I recognize here tonight or today, and, and particularly uh, Mayors Milam and Furman. Uh, their, their past and current service is greatly appreciated, and there are others here as well. I'm honored to represent my fellow legislators here today and hope that I accurately reflect uh, particularly our, our members of our, our joint budget committee's uh, anticipated action. Senator Mortimer and Representative McGeehan, uh, both members of the Joint Budget Committee, which we call JFAC, Joint Finance and Appropriation Committee, are, are, are able, better able to illustrate Idaho's budget. And frankly, I have confidence in their ability to answer any questions that you may have as well uh, after this meeting and through this next session. Do, do I wish our economic condition was different? Do I wish that we didn't have to make some of the very draconian budget cuts, past or future? Am I troubled about uh, current uh, budget impacts, particularly on K-12 and higher education? Again, do I wish our economic condition was different? I'm reminded of the Great Butter Rebellion. It took place in Harvard, at Harvard University in 1766. At that time, a group of Popinjay students uh, formed a group that was self-described as the Sons of Harvard. And during one meal, the students were served butter that was particularly rancid. And a leader of these Sons of Harvard, the grandfather of Henry David Thoreau, jumped to his chair and proclaimed, Behold, our butter stinketh. Give us, therefore, butter that stinketh not. The students in uh, mass rose together, proclaimed their disgust, and exited the commons in protest. Now, although the president of Harvard demanded a confession and an apology, no one stepped forward to publicly admit wrongdoing or to identify the instigator, and with time, the students prevailed. Again, do I wish our economy was different? Do I wish our economic butter stinketh not? Of course. Let me provide you some numbers. And I'm not a numbers guy. That's why I'm in leadership. Uh, you're, you're welcome to pull out your pencil and write these numbers down. Our budget cycle starts on July 1 of each year and runs through June 30th. The budget name is the year that the cycle ends. For instance, we are currently in the fiscal year 2010. It obviously started July 1st of 2009. Before we adopted the FY010 budget, the shortfall in our revenue was $411 million. Also, 
because the revenue has continued to slide, that gap has grown. To finish fiscal year 2010, Idaho still must find at least another $151 million. That means that the FY 2010 budget gap is at least $562 million over what had previously been anticipated. The budget gap represents about 22.4% of the general fund. That's no small amount for our state. Also, this number assumes no further tax collection slide. It will slide. Couple of other points. First, Idaho Code grants to the governor the authority to make temporary reductions in legislative appropriations. I've got the code section, if that's important. For the lawyers here, I always come with my code sections. That authority allows the full-time governor to make temporary adjustments until the part-time legislature can return and either make those reductions permanent or modify its prior appropriation. It's a way to be sensitive to the separation of powers. Historically, these legislative adjustments were called negative supplementals. Today, we call them rescissions. Now, as a check against the threat of gubernatorial misconduct, the governor can only make the bare minimum reductions when compared to the anticipated revenue. Governors use the economic tax revenue projection from the Division of Financial Management to make those adjustments. Even if a governor doubts those projections, he can only statutorily make the temporary reductions consistent with the projection. He's left to economic history before he can otherwise adjust. That's tough. Does the governor believe that 4% holdback is enough? Well, you'd have to ask the governor, but I know I don't. Second, some felt that the, the governor's adjusted revenue projection, which is based on the economist model for 2010, were quite pessimistic for July through December, but were optimistic for January through June. However, Idaho has been substantially on target for July through December. I'm, I am aware, excuse me, uh, uh, we're on target for July through October. I am aware of the November numbers uh, but I don't want to get ahead of the governor and release uh, those numbers, Nick, so you'll have to get those from someone else. A couple of remaining open questions. Will January through June tax collections meet these optimistic projections, or will the Idaho legislature determine to reduce those projections even further? Well, in short, the $411 million shortfall has already grown by another $151 million. How much more will it grow? Before Idaho can set the fiscal year 
2011 budget, it will have to make mid-year budget corrections. Those corrections will impact 2011 and 2012. Remember, $411 million is already addressed in this year's budget. We did it with budget cuts. We did it with budget stabilization funds. And frankly, we did it with some stimulus money. Two days ago, NCSL, which is an acronym for the National Conference of State Legislatures, released the state budget update November 2009. And they had released one, I believe, in June or July as well. And it reports that since FY 2010 budget cycle started, 36 states report new gaps in revenue for that fiscal year. The current sum totals $28.2 billion for states. Now, I realize these are small dollars to my congressional folks, but to us, these, these are real dollars. This is on top of the $145.9 billion gap that was closed through the past budget cycle. NCSL, NCSL also reports that 20 states have gaps greater than 5%. Five states have gaps greater than 10%. Arizona and Oklahoma report about 18% in additional shortfalls. Four states, Arizona, excuse me, three states, I can count, uh, Arizona, Illinois, and Kansas report their financial situation as dire. Iowa's governor ordered an additional 10% across-the-board reduction in all FY 2010 general fund appropriations. Even state-by-state -state pessimistic revenue forecasts have turned out to be optimistic. For example, Nevada's adjusted sales tax numbers still fell short in the first two months of the fiscal year by over 20%. New Jersey imposed $1.1 billion in temporary taxes for just that year. When you look at our budget and you look at the, the various tax revenue categories, income taxes, sales taxes, and the like, the, the, the tax that's the hardest for us to accurately project right now is sales tax. Whereas historically, that has been one of the most, that has been one we have had the greatest confidence and has been one of our most stable funding sources. A couple of other uh, budget busters. FMAP, now that's a term you probably, uh, not many of you have heard of before. Uh, and Medicaid, uh, you have heard of that before. Medicaid continues to cost excuse me, Medicaid costs continue to substantially impact every state's budget, and Idaho is no exception. This is my opinion. If you wonder where Idaho's K-12 and college and university budget increases, those dollars have gone, again, in my opinion, those dollars uh, have been required to support Medicaid increases over the last many years. Idaho, like other states, is left with no other resource but to raise taxes or tuition and fees. Those it, tuition and fee increases, and I know, Dad, when you served on the State Board of Education, that was not fun. You probably saw here in the last day or so that the State Board of Education 
has agreed to lift the cap of 10% on tuition and fee increases uh, as they approach this next budget cycle. Those fee increases, this reality creates an additional bar to student access. This continues to trouble me. Now, again, in my opinion, and by the way, I know I'm still talking about FMAP here. I'm, on a, I'm out on a goat trail for a moment. In my opinion, that's why the National Center for Public Policy and Higher Education's report card gave every state in this nation except California an F on higher education affordability. And California got a C minus. And I'm telling you, that is compared to their income. And with the tuition and fee increases that they have, no wonder California students are flocking to surrounding states like Idaho, and there's a wonderful article in today's Post Register on that, because those California state students are struggling financially to attend school there. Again, I know I digress, and I thank you for this moment of therapy. FMAP. Federal Medical Assistant Percentage, FMAP. Historically, Medicaid is administered at the state level, uh, but principally is as directed by the federal government. We're allowed to request waivers, which waivers are often slow to come and are quite restrictive. Medicaid is normally funded on a 70-30 split. 70% from the federal government, 30% from the state. Uh, as a result of the recent federal stimulus package, if your state's unemployment rate reached a certain threshold, that FMAP reimbursement rate was increased, in Idaho's case, to an 80-20 split. But the increase of, uh, from 70 to 80 terminates halfway through the next fiscal year. In other words, Idaho is currently scheduled to drop back to the 70-30 split in the middle of the next fiscal year. Now, when we cobbled, I mean the Idaho legislature, cobbled together our 2010 budget, this temporary FMAP reimbursement rate was critical to limit further budget cuts. How much are we talking about? For our state, it's 60, about $65 million. To a state like Idaho, this is a big amount. Other states are similarly struggling. Now, I know a great deal of effort is being made to have Congress address uh, Medicaid's mandate impact on state budgets. One congressional solution is to help states through the fiscal year 2011 and then leave the gap completely unfilled for FY 2010. Now, is it possible that Congress will do something? I, I don't know. There are others in this room who are better skilled at answering that question. But many worry that congressional action will not occur until after we have to set our budget. That means that's a $65 million hit. As another aside, regardless of your position on the health care debate in Washington, D.C., anticipated congressional Medicaid modifications mandate a further phasing of that financial burden to state budgets. If so, Medicaid's impact on state budgets will continue to increase. Then there's the annual Medicaid 
increase request that comes from the Department of Health and Welfare. That's not included in that other number. It's principally driven by increases in demand. What is the amount? About $88 million. Well, as is setting FMAP aside, as is typical in a recession, many people return to college and university to become commercially more marketable. As a result, Idaho's college and university enrollment has increased. These institutions do need additional money just to cover that enrollment growth. The request is for $7 million. Public schools have a transportation and an enrollment growth problem, $28 million. Prison growth, including opening up the new CAP facility, which is the Correction Alternative Placement Program, hopefully being able to get ahead of the curve on uh, prison growth, $9 million. You, you, you should start to get the idea of the concern we have. We have... Uh, a reduction in revenue going this way, and we have some uh, demands for uh, increase in funding that we just can't say no to all of that. And in the middle is the rest of state government. Now, Idaho does have savings, and that's helped so far. And frankly, it will continue to help. The question is, how fast do you burn through those savings? Now, if Idaho had followed the lead of some editorial writers <clears throat> and others, some in this room, those savings would be exhausted right now. We'd have nothing, and we'd have this hole we would have to fill. What would we have to do? We were talking about substantial tax increases or even more draconian budget cuts. I have felt that the better approach is to feather those funds in over several budget cycles. And that has been our current course of action. We even have a statute that was not, it was written some years ago when the budget stabilization fund was created. And that statute limits access to the budget stabilization fund to 50% of the then fund balance each year. Now, yeah, we can certainly write an appropriation that says, notwithstanding that statute, we're going to burn through the money faster than that. But it's an interesting statutory expression of the policy that exists in the state. Remember that state revenues are also going to lag economic recovery. Even after businesses return to profitability, their income tax return will not reflect net taxable income for some time. So what does Idaho have left in savings? We have $150.1 million. Here's the breakdown. In our budget stabilization fund, we have $64.3 million. In the public education stabilization fund, which some refer to as PSIF, we have $17.6 million left. That's if the legislature supports the governor in holding K-12 harmless for the 4% holdback he ordered earlier in the budget cycle. If the legislature doesn't, then obviously you've got more money in savings, 
but that also means that K-12, in the middle of the budget cycle, when salaries are set and contracts are let, have to find and cut $50 million from their budget. I think I have some confidence and hope that the legislature will support uh, the governor on that. We also have an economic recovery reserve fund that has $68.2 million, and that's what we have in savings right now. So far, the net number Idaho has used of its savings is $104 million. This is after shuffling around the stimulus money. It is my understanding that that's the true net number. So what should you expect? Well, I think you know. <laughs> Idaho's constitution requires that we have a balanced budget. Idaho will balance its budget. Another challenge is that the legislature is required to project in January of 2010 what Idaho's revenue will be through June of 2011. That's tough in good times. It's, it's simply much tougher in these difficult times. No budgets are exempt. A friend and fellow senator from North Idaho, Sean Keogh, who many of you know, is reported to have said that even sacred cows are hiding. Great effort will be made to minimize budget cuts to education and in some other desperately needed services. Janice, I don't envy your assignment. That's a tough job. And to serve on the Health and Welfare Committee during this cycle uh, is a very, very hard job. Um, in, we have been holding monthly meetings as uh, uh, leadership with the governor as we have watched and received economic uh, uh, updates throughout the fall. Um, and we've, we've met with him uh, for uh, uh, several hours uh, once a month, and our next meeting is scheduled for December the 18th. I recall in one of those meetings, Governor Otter telling me that an agency head was pushing him very hard for about $1.5 million for what the agency considered to be an extreme priority need. My words, not theirs. The governor said to the agency head, do you know what can be done with 1.5 million in the classroom? He continued, that agency director hasn't returned with the request. Tax increases. No, it will not happen. One day last fall in desperation, I typed in my Google search engine and some of you have heard me say this before, these words. Is there a website that contains positive economic news? And I hit enter. Sure enough, the first thing that popped up was positiveeconomicnews.com. <laughs> I go there for therapy from, t for, uh, from time to time. There is a lot of wonderful, uh, good economic news out there, but you got people like me who sometimes will spend too much time languishing in what's wrong. My banking friends here have a, a much better handle on what's going well and what isn't going well. Idaho is showing pockets of uh, economic confidence, 
Eastern Idaho continues to benefit greatly from a stable national lab, which is due in large measure to the men and women who work there, one of whom is my daughter. But it's also in significant part due to our congressional team, specifically Mike Simpson's role on the powerful Appropriation Committee is, of course, well, as well Mike uh, Crapo's uh, long-term service both in the House and in the Senate. We're, other, we're enjoying other local success stories. Mike Ferguson, yesterday or the day before when he spoke to our, our, sitter, our, our counterpart, our sister city club in Boise, uh, reported that Idaho, the Idaho's economic decline is arresting. Um, I have been in meetings with Mike uh, throughout the fall. Uh, I'm telling you, we have had many meetings where we didn't get that kind of expression from him, and that's encouraging. Micron continues to report increased confidence, including with an exciting uh, new series of products. Well, let me conclude uh, by saying hitting the bottom doesn't mean it's over. It means that the economy isn't sliding any further. We still need time to rebuild some uh, economic engines, and we will. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, a page of history is worth a volume of logic. History teaches me that good times are ahead. I only pray we can turn the pages a little more quickly. And I guess we're now ready for question and answer. Thank and you. Thank you very much, Senator. Thank you very much. You, and David, be, David, before you ask the first question, I want to remind you that my mother is here, so clean the, the rugged language up a bit, if you would. Well, let's see. I'm going to have to tear these up then, Senator, which means I'll have to make up questions on the fly. Now, you've painted such a rosy picture here with plenty of economic op optimism for economic development. Let's go. Let's cut right to the chase here. As Senate Majority Leader, you bear a tremendous responsibility for guiding legislation through our legislature, for making recommendations to the governor. And people look to you because of your expertise and your good judgment on how best to guide this state. A few moments ago, you said tax increases will not happen. If they don't happen and we have such a shortfall, what are we going to do? It is, it is my understanding that the governor did not give to his, uh, his uh, uh, directors and agencies head, heads an artificial target to hit of 3% or 5% or 10%, whatever the number was. He has gone to them and said, I need your best efforts. And uh, in, it is my understanding in some regards they're exceeding expectations. Um, I have said before, and some of you have heard me say before, that oftentimes when you budget personally, at least this has been my wife and I's experience, uh, when a budget gets tight, we have some things that we can cut. We can't cut our house payment. We, if we have a car payment, uh, we can't cut a car payment. Um, the utility bill is still expected to be paid. There are some things that have to be paid each and every month. And historically for us, if things were tight, we would cut our food budget. 
we'd, we'd eat a little less well during that uh, time period. And there were other things that we could do. My tragic experience has been that the Idaho State food budget is oftentimes our college and university budget. And I, I know, Professor, that that's uh, not the kind of thing that uh, we like to dwell on, but they have, I have watched over a, nearly a dozen years where those budgets have been whipsawed. Um, and uh, I hope someday that we can find a more stable way of, of protecting it. Um, some years ago, before we were in this cycle, when Governor Kempthorne was governor in his State of the State address, he tried to illustrate this principle by pulling out a dollar bill. And he asked us in that State of the State, it might have been a State of the Budget address, he said, of this dollar, and I probably could do it uh, myself, but I won't do it as well as he did it, but he would hold up the dollar, and I, and I have one left. <laughs> and he, and he, he asked, how much of that budget is really discretionary? And then he held up a nickel. Uh, and, and that is one of the real challenges we have. You can cut almost every state agency to zero, but uh, by the time you add back in your corrections cost, you look at your education, your Medicaid budget and the like, that really consumes the balance of your budget. I know that that's not much of an answer, um, but I, I, have, I have confidence that uh, the, the men and women that serve on that joint committee will not take this undertaking casually. Uh, and I know that they will struggle with it. I saw them do that this year. I did not see a cavalier attitude out of that committee, and I do not expect anything other than a thoughtful approach to the, uh, approach to the budget this year. We're off to a good start. Thank you, Senator. Now, I want to remind all of you to please submit your questions. <clears throat> we have a number of proposals here to satisfy some of the economic problems that we face. Okay, Janice, write these down. You're on the committee. Your question to you and to Representative McGeehan, then. What is your position on the idea of taxing Internet sales? A good many Idahoans, many in this room, shop on the Internet. What's your view on that? Well, I have... Uh, the election isn't until next year. <laughs> Uh, I, I get there for a different reason. I, I think that it should be done for a completely different reason than what you're suggesting, and that is just for parity. I have a hard time wanting to be anything other than sensitive to those businesses that are brick-and-mortar businesses and make that investment in our community, uh, that they should not be economically disadvantaged by the Internet. Um, so uh, that's, that has historically been my position. Uh, there is a, uh, a, uh, a group of individual states that have been working on this for some time. Idaho has been very reluctant historically to join that group. Um, I have voted in the past to support joining. Uh, however, it has been the minority uh, point of view. Uh, there, are, uh, there are very intelligent economists who have argued that, it, that at the beginning of the creation of the Internet, 
it would have been an unwise thing to do. I have heard, however, some of those same economists suggest that that time period has lapsed and that there is, the, the, the taxation of the internet would not substantially stifle uh, what they're doing. So for whatever value that is, that's my opinion. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Senator, many of us in this room are proposing the idea of attaching a sales tax uh, to a one cent sales tax to uh, sugar uh, beverages in the same way that we levy taxes on alcohol. What's your position on the idea of levying a tax on? <laughs> your, your next question. <laughs> now, not, not everybody could see, so we'll need a verbal response to that. Well, uh, being a, a relatively chunky fellow, I, uh, I understand the thought process and the reasons behind it. I understand that there's logic and intelligence to it, but the answer to that is it will not, I do not believe that any of those proposals which have to start in the House Rev and Tax Committee will even be printed. I could be wrong, but that's my opinion. But of course, with your urging and your substantial experience, and your leadership position. Could you say to your colleagues on that committee, let's print such a bill? Oh, I, uh, even with my girth, uh, I wouldn't, it, seriously, I do not believe that the Senate Majority Leader should be involved in how the House runs its affairs. I believe that it's important for me to focus. I, I have uh, enough of a challenge uh, in the Senate in, in trying to address and manage it, the issues that we have. Um, uh, I, would, uh, I would not uh, be willing to do that, no. Senator, I, I believe that uh, when Jim Risch was brief, briefly governor, that he pushed through legislation to hike the sale tax by a penny. And that that garnered the state some $220 million, give or take a few. Would you support the idea of an increase of a sales tax by a penny or two as a means of, of staunching the bleeding here in this state? A, a penny today, based on current uh, sales, doesn't generate quite that strong of a number. It's, it's closer to about $160 million. That still is a significant amount of money. The short answer to your question is no. Uh, I know that there are strong desires to want to backfill this hole. It's a significant hole uh, with uh, tax increases. Uh, as honest as I have ever been with you before on any issues, I can tell you in any form, no matter what kind of lipstick you put on it, I just don't see it happening this session. That's being very honest with you. If the chances for... You're not going to give up? <laughs> they pay me the big bucks to ask these questions. All right. If, in fact, tax increases are out of the question, as you say, then should we review various exemptions? Should we start with the tax exemptions for big business? The, the big ticket items that exist for sales tax exemptions, frankly, are in the area of services, uh, including medical. 
do you want to pay sales tax on your medical care? Uh, folks, there are, you can comb through the exemption list and you can find some nickels here and there, which frankly from time to time we should do. And I am never opposed to revisiting the question of whether that exemption has outlived its day. Um, but the big ticket items are the ones that I, I think collectively as a state we're reluctant to. To the lawyers in this room, do you want to start paying sales tax on your legal services? Uh, yeah, well, Hoops is willing to. Uh, I, that'll be an interesting partnership meeting. Uh, <laughs> Folks, those are where the big dollars are in exemptions. In fairness to the question, I am always open to readdressing them. We have a sales tax exemption for the lab. We have one for the Museum of Idaho. Uh, we do not have a blanket exemption that says if you meet these criteria, you qualify. As you comb through those exemptions, they're identified, and many of them are uh, our charitable organizations that I think you would want us to maintain. So, Senator, if, if the essence of local control is the power to tax locally, why is it that the Republican legislature is reluctant or indeed opposed to giving a local government the opportunity uh, to levy taxes? Well, we're inconsistent on our message. And so what's the remedy for that? Um, I, I acknowledge that it, and, and you, some of you have heard me say, it is, for me, uh, intellectually consistent to argue that the best government is at the local level and then not give them the power and the authority to do their job. Uh, and I have voted for local option taxing in the past. There is, however, generally this concern at the legislature that uh, uh, of the possibility of, uh, of growth of government and its impact on uh, real property taxes, particularly at the county level. And uh, that is one way that uh, some have felt it's appropriate to hedge against government growth. If you look at some uh, months or so ago, I was asked by a client to do uh, in my, my day job uh, an analysis of how uh, some of the states that they were doing business in addressed uh, a particular issue, and I forget what it was, but it dealt with local control and who had the right to make certain decisions. And it was quite intriguing to me when I looked at the state of Wyoming's constitution, it has the equivalent of a Tenth Amendment provision in there at the state level. That is that unless the power is specifically given to the state of Wyoming, those powers are reserved to political subdivisions. Idaho has not been willing uh, to take that step. Historically, long before the current crop of uh, legislators arrived, and certainly with the current group, collectively, uh, there is not uh, the, the willingness to go there. Senator, in all candor, do you believe that many of your colleagues in the legislature simply hold the views that cities will be fiscally irresponsible? Oh, well, I, I'm smart enough to know how to answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to open the, the jacket here again? <laughs> uh, I serve 
my mayors, my city councilmen that are here, they serve with good men and women. I'm telling you at the state level, regardless of the party, uh, regardless of the gender, I serve with good men and women. They care about their state. They care about the uh, delivery of education. They care about some issues. Now, we may move the line differently, and we may draw it differently, uh, but I, I am not going to suggest that uh, uh, and even uh, directly approach your question other than to say uh, I just do not buy off on the notion that they are anything other than good and decent people who want the best government possible for their people. We just define it differently. Here's your, here's your problem, everybody. You don't think alike. None of you in this room think alike. Ralph, Maryland, do you two think alike? Oh, and who's right? I know. And I agree with you. The person who I love the most in this world and who I trust the most in this world is my wife. And we don't agree. So why do you think that if you take 105 people from the different counties that we have, from different political backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different life experiences, and force them all to collect under two umbrellas to think that they're going to all think alike. They don't. Now, Jerry, when you were there in the House, did all the Democrats in your caucus think alike? They did not. They don't in my caucus. Janice, do they think alike in your caucus? Boy, I'll say not. <laughs> Some would argue, oh, I probably ought to stop right there. Um, it's uh, it's a challenge. I have 35 members in the Idaho State Senate. 27 of them, 28 of them, are in my caucus. Uh, my caucus represents the political spectrum of the state of Idaho. And it's a challenge to work through. But we try to be as respectful of different points of view as possible. And I know I'm, I've completely forgotten the question now. So. <laughs> Which is really nice. Let's let's shift let's shift gears here Please. for a moment. Let's right. let's do, do you have that. any softballs in there? Here here's a softball question oh, yeah, for you. Right. There is a considerable discussion here in Idaho that the legislature is going to be asked to amend our civil rights statute so as to prohibit discrimination against people based on orientation. There is not currently protection. Where's your, where do you stand on that issue? Uh, uh, this is a bill that has come up uh, before us several times. And frankly, I, uh, I have anticipated this question. Not that I've, I've been thoughtful and anticipated the answer. Uh, uh, the, the devil will be in the details on the language of any legislation. The person who is advancing this uh, very candidly has, in my opinion, wanted to take a more aggressive uh, approach to that legislation uh, than they should. If uh, I, I think that uh, there is something that can be done in Idaho, uh, it's no surprise to any of you of, uh, of uh, what my faith is, and you are also very aware of what the LDS Church's position was as they stood before the city council and the mayor and the city of, the, of, of Salt Lake in addressing these very issues. I believe that there is something there that can be done, particularly as it relates to housing and it relates to employment. 
but you've got to look at at what point in time is a business going to be exempt from that. And we have an exemption, a current exemption, in the Idaho Civil Rights Act. It is some of the, the more difficult components of the legislation deal with transgender issues, especially in small businesses, and the impact that it may have on that business's ability to maintain its customer base or its client base. Those are, issue, those are hard issues to have to wrestle our way through. Do I believe that, uh, uh, that the issue will be resolved this upcoming session? I do not. Aside from the nature of any bill that will be introduced and the revisions that might become part of the discussion and debate, where do you, sir, stand on the issue of discrimination against people? I, I thought I answered that. I, I, I can support legislation that, uh, that provides, um, uh, 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 that, that provides a, a way uh, to be sensitive to some of these smaller businesses and industry uh, that are out there. If you look at the Salt Lake model, for instance, it had three things that may not be being reported. The first is that it did have an application to the size of the business. It did have an uh, application to the size of the rental complex. And it also had an, uh, an effective date that did not trigger until after the Utah legislature adjourned sine die. I don't know if that anticipates that the, uh, the Utah legislature will address the issue and resolve it one way or the other. That I can't speak to. But, but I have no problem uh, supporting legislation that, uh, that respects uh, the, the dignity of all individuals um, in their employment and in their housing. Thank you. Let's shift gears to, a, to higher education for a moment. There's been considerable discussion about the idea of transforming Idaho's uh, educational structure, including the possibility of establishing a, a system in which we have a chancellor of higher education. What's your view on that concept? Um, I, I don't. Uh, I don't see that happening in the state of Idaho. Uh, a few states have uh, gone to that. Uh, uh, my friends that serve in legislatures in other states uh, uh, give me a uh, uh, an expression of some confidence in that system. But I. I don't see actually the person in this room who's better to answer that question is probably my dad. Uh, but it probably would look a little embarrassing to call on my dad to answer the question. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm not the, the right person to give an, a, a more thoughtful answer to that other than we have looked at that in the past and historically that legislation has been a non-starter. Senator, you mentioned earlier that you're very troubled by the possibility of removing a ceiling that currently exists on the tuition rates that universities can charge. And yet you've also pointed out very clearly that funding for higher education becomes increasingly difficult. If we're stuck between a rock and a hard place, what do you propose to do as a means of adequately funding higher education? I don't think that we will adequately fund higher education this year. And so would you favor the idea of lifting the ceiling on tuition rates so that universities are given some autonomy uh, to raise the funds necessary 
uh, to provide education to their students? Well, I don't know that the universities have the autonomy to make that decision. They still make their recommendation and request to the State Board of Education. The State Board of Education is actually the institution that sets those rates. Um, and by the way, and I don't know if all of you know this, we do not appropriate to universities. Um, that way you keep guys like me from wanting to protect their, uh, their college or their university. We only appropriate a block amount. There are sometimes specific provisions referenced in it, but we, rep we appropriate a block amount to the State Board of Education, and then they work with the colleges and the universities to determine how that money is going to be divided up. Um, uh, now refresh my memory on where we're headed. Well, I, I was wondering, where are the solutions to this problem that you, that you indicated that, that, in fact, the legislature okay. is unlikely right. to adequately fund higher education? Well, it's not because he, the legislature does not want to adequately fund it. I have confidence that they do want to fund it. It's the economic uh, rubics that, that we are in at the time that, that drive the, the, the math challenge ahead of us. Um, you know, we established a public education stabilization fund, principally dedicated to protect K-12. Whether that's the right model for colleges and universities or not, I don't know. Uh, we have uh, uh, a, a, a normal budget stabilization fund that's supposed to provide some protection there, and it does, because by being able to use those funds uh, for uh, other needs, we're, we're able to minimize the adverse impact to our colleges and universities. Um, uh, now that being said, um, uh, uh, I would I would welcome from any of you input or ideas on how we can better stabilize uh, our college and university budget. It is it is a source of constant frustration to uh, many of us that are there. But you are taking off the table the idea of a sales tax increase, correct? Asked and answered. Uh, Senator, let me ask you, in, in uh, today's post-register, as in earlier editions uh, over this week, there has been attention drawn to uh, uh, the assertions made by the State Attorney General, uh, Lawrence Wasden, about the fact that the Idaho Land Board has not been uh, particularly judicious in protecting the state's interests with respect to rental college, cottages at Priest, uh, Priest Lake, Payette River, and so forth. What's, what's your view of this controversy? Is the Attorney General on a good path here to point out the failings of the, of the land board? He's on a good path if you believe that the, the sole responsibility is to generate the revenue. If you're on the side of the families that have been renting those cabins for 40 years and from generation to generation, uh, he's on the wrong path. Um, I believe, however, that the state of Idaho has a, a, a duty to generate the revenue uh, based on the market values that are attributed there. Um, we find that, uh, uh, not speaking specifically as to the cabins, but in North Idaho and in other parts of the state, um, uh, we have Eastern Washington that uh, make uh, great use of our resource, and it has had an adverse impact on our citizenry being able to use and access uh, those very cabins and campsites and the like. And, and it is my understanding that the Parks and Recreation Board is wrestling with how they can provide better priority within constitutional barriers that exist for Idaho citizens to have access to that. Now back to your question, 
on the value. I believe that on balance, our principal responsibility is to generate as much money from that uh, and as close to market value as we can. Thank you. Uh, one important question on health insurance. As you know, approximately one-third of all Idahoans have no health insurance. What, if anything, might the legislature do to address this problem? Uh, Idaho's legislature has been addressing this for uh, long before I arrived. We have a standing uh, committee that uh, continues to wrestle with it. Historically, uh, we created, and I don't mean Idaho, I mean most states created barriers to out-of-state competition. We required, in order for an insurance company to be licensed in our state, that they uh, uh, have so much of their investments made within our state. And if they failed to do it, they weren't allowed to do business within the state of Idaho. Uh, very candidly, we, we took care of that some years ago, but those, those types of silos have existed now for many decades, uh, uh, or at least for some period of time. I, I don't know the exact amount of time. Uh, but those silos are gone now. Um, uh, I, uh, I'm probably a little closer to this issue than some in this room, uh, but I, I genuinely believe that the solution can be found within the market. I genuinely believe that if uh, uh, we put a lot of mandates on our, uh, our insurance company, not so much here in Idaho, but in other states, and if, if they would remove more of those mandates and allow a greater competition, frankly, I believe that rates can come down. And when I mean come down, it may be nothing more than a decrease in the increase. Um, uh, I don't... I don't have confidence, I don't have confidence in the government model uh, to this solution. I, I just genuinely do not believe that uh, either the state of Idaho or the federal government is the solution when it comes to health care. Uh, I have no problems with uh, uh, any uh, legislation that encourages uh, 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 access. Uh, but beyond that, I, I don't have, a, I do not believe in a single-payer system. I cannot support it. I see what it's done in our state budget. I just can't begin to imagine uh, what it would happen, what would happen to our state budget if we were to have what I understand to be the projected impact on our state budget. Um, it would require uh, tax increases uh, here at the state level, and uh, I, I see no other way to do it. So. I know that's not really the best answer, but that's uh, where I'm at right now. Well, Senator, we want to thank you for sharing your time with us. Your insights have been, have been very informative. And ladies and gentlemen, let's give a warm round of applause to Senator Davis. Thank you very much. That concludes this December meeting of the Idaho Falls City Club. Visit archived recordings of the Idaho Falls City Club at ifcityclub.com. Support for KISU-FM comes from Idaho State University, awarding more than $76 million in financial aid and scholarships in the 2007-2008 school year. More information is available at www.isu.edu. Idaho is calling you.
This is KISU FM 91.1 Pocatello, 91.3 Idaho Falls, found on the web at KISU.org. Coming up, it's Beat City Radio with Levi Montana Keller. Support for programming on KISU is provided by Mutual Insurance, helping to ensure the health of public radio in southeastern Idaho and owned by local people for more than 25 years. Mutual Insurance is located just off the Pocatello Creek I-15 exit, under the Red Roof.